0: Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way.
1: First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch.
0: You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow.
1: I like the laptop bags myself.
0: Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts.
1: Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio
0: runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex.
1: That's it. That's our intro.
0: Now, time for the show.
1: And we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Wake in Fright.
0: Hello and welcome to the Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my pal, the Doc, Julio Oliveira. Oh God. <laughs> hey man, he's, he's intelligent in this. He's just got a bit of a drinking problem. <laughs> uh, we are here today to discuss... The 1971 Australian film *Wake and Fright*—some uncharted territory for myself and my partner Julio here. Julio, just getting right into it. This was demanded of us by one of our wonderful patrons from the the country of its origin.
1: Yes, did you did you know? I mean, I, I, you didn't because I didn't. We uh, were we were at the same spot here. We didn't know this was an Australian movie. This is Chaz just refusing to let go of the Australian uh, theme. Right, it's like I thought we'd put it to rest. We had like a little Australian season between here and Patron, but but he he just won't let it go. Like you know, he he gave us uh, getting square, mm-hmm. and then he gave us that zombie movie on Patron. What was it called? Uh, is it Undead? And now he's back, Chaz Fisher, doing his best to represent Australia in the Contrarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, admirable, and you know what? It's it is right as as a patron of the show so uh he even went as far as to send us a clip which i guess might as well play it now alex let's
2: let's get into it hello fellow contrarian listeners uh this is Chaz, patreon and former guest uh today i have selected for you using my hard-earned patreon dollars uh the australian classic wake in fright now i use the contrarians as a platform to try and you know, bring more exposure to Aussie films, uh, as do some of my other fellow Australian patrons I've noticed. But frustratingly, Alex and Julio have just completely shat on (laughs) two of my favourite all-time Australian movies, Getting Square and Undead. And neither of those are respected Australian classics. They're just Australian films that I personally love. But this one, Wake in Fright, is a classic do i love wake and fright guess you'll have to wait for real talk to find out
1: okay i mean if after all this he doesn't like wake and fright (laughs) that's gonna be there's gonna be quite the shambling twist
0: it would be funny if he like picks those two random well obviously not random but more like light australian movies that he's crazy about and then this one that's like regarded as like this all-time classic that influenced people like scorsese he's like sucks it's like, <laughs> it's an embarrassment and just was trying to get y'all to watch something.
1: I I was honestly hoping that he had just picked it for Donald Pleasance. Like he knows that that we bring him up constantly because of your obsession with the Halloween franchise. And what date is uh, this going to drop? This drops at the end of the month.
0: Yeah, right before Halloween ends. So it's only appropriate <laughs> that where it began, Smith's Grove with Dr. Sam Loomis, that we... In our own little way, and I think Chaz deep down somewhere knew that. Uh, As an Australian, I'll I'll be curious if Chaz touches on it at all. That the two leads in this being Donald Pleasance and um, Gary Bond are both English actors. That well, Gary Bond's character is English, right? He's trying to, yeah, yeah. He just he's from England, but he's there because of his teaching job, and he's got a girl there. Whereas. Loomis, Doc, is supposed to be Australian, but like I said, he (laughs) just did the fucking awesome Donald Pleasant thing that he did in Halloween. He's like, I'm going to talk the way I talk, and you can just deal with it.
1: We don't know. Did they ever say specifically that he's Australian?
0: That's a good point. He just jumped off a ship one day or a train, and this is where he
1: lives now. Then one day he had enough, and then he just went to Haddonfield.
0: (laughs) He got his... uh, He went back to school to get his... (laughs) (laughs) doctorate in psychology but anyway i'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts
1: well that's that's not until the second half so in the meantime we're just gonna have to assume that uh i'm gonna i'm gonna go into this assuming that this is not a troll move my assumption is that Chaz likes this movie and uh if i end up with egg on my face come real talk well so be it but uh that just means that saying bad things about it is just gonna uh It's got to be a lot more fun because, you know, there's nothing more fun than talking shit about movies your friends love.
0: I was going to say, before we can find out how Chaz feels about this, we got to get through Contrarians Corner. So before we get to that, let's quickly go ahead and say hello and welcome to any and all potential new listeners and explain what it is we do here Uh, on the Contrarians. Our battle cry is we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, which this one definitely qualifies for. At a whopping 97%. Uh, It has the beautiful IP, that trademarked logo, certified fresh. That looks like a fucking star you'd get on your paper if you did good when you were in elementary school. (laughs) And what we'll do with those films, and in this particular case, Wake and Fright, is bring them down to size and talk about maybe why that Rotten Tomatoes score doesn't tell the whole story. Talk about some um, questionable acting, directing choices, score or even cinematography, just making sure that uh, we bring it down to size and talk about some of the things that its legacy or its critics may have swept under the rug. And then conversely, on alternating episodes, we'll find a movie that is lowly rated, uh, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. We shoot for usually about 30% and below. And as you would guess, we make a case for that film's positive merit. Talk about uh, it's underrated acting it's under celebrated scores soundtracks uh, bold storytelling or directing choices we do this all in an effort to say number one those Rotten Tomatoes scores don't always tell the whole story and uh, it's not like Rotten Tomatoes or any critics at large really go out of their way to help uh, the viewing public understand that and secondly I mean this shit is subjective you can be as over the moon and positive about something as you want to be or if you really just want to and have your mind set to it. You can be as cynical and negative about something as uh, your heart desires. As I said, being that this is a certified fresh film, this first half here, we will be uh, pointing out its foibles and finding the flaws and holes in Wake and Fright. However, Julio, if those listening want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing today, they just have to hang around for the second half, part two, uh, Real Talk.
1: That is correct. Part two of every episode. The aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we just forget about the tomato meter. We tell you exactly how we feel. We tell you and we tell each other. Alex and I hadn't hadn't seen this movie before. We didn't even know it existed. And uh, we've kept pretty quiet about it uh, since we watched it separately. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a little bit of a back and forth during our uh, video preview that we already recorded, but not enough that either of us could tell how the other one feels. So... A lot of mystery going into this real talk. But first, like Alex said, we gotta do Contrarians Corner. We gotta we gotta be mean about this movie, whether we believe it or not.
2: You to the Yabba?
0: Yes. Staying
1: long? Yeah, just tonight. Oh,
0: that's hard I'd like. Wanna see a bit more of the Yabba than that. So 97% on this, Julio. Um twice over this movie got favorable reviews as we'll discuss in real talk there's quite the interesting legacy of this film quite literally the the physical film there's an interesting story behind it so uh, it in a sense had two different releases uh, in 1971 and then again in 2009 so I imagine the reviews you acquired were a good smattering of different points in time what were you able to pull for the uh, positive quotes on this one?
1: The first fresh tomato we have here is from Matt Neal from ABC Radio Australia. And he says, Waking Fright gets beneath Australia's skin and stares into a dark heart that was hidden beneath the ochre dust and boozy Bonhomie. Uh, I don't know what Bonhomie is. <laughs> uh, one of the greatest Aussie films of all time. Alex, up till today, uh, when I watch this movie, uh, the greatest Aussie film of all time was one that I, uh, we have covered in this show, it was also a patron request, and it was Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Next, Andrew Pollard from Starburst says John Grant is absolutely not perfect as the stiff, upper lipped Englishman stranded in an environment that he couldn't be any further removed from. Wait, John Grant, is that the name of the character or the actor?
0: Gary Bond is the name of the actor. The character was John Grant.
1: Okay, so this guy, Pollard, Pollard, you fucked up. <laughs> You're calling him by the name of the character. It says John Grant is absolutely not perfect. Well, John Grant is a character, so he would be perfect as a character. Anyway, uh, the performance as the stiff, upper-lipped Englishman stranded in an environment that he couldn't be any further removed from is, I guess, not perfect. Uh, do you think that British people take offense to this portrayal?
0: <laughs> I don't think so, because it portrays them as like more... Uh, intellectual and aristocratic than this damn Australian.
1: But then they can't keep their shit together. It's like a weekend at the Yaba and then they're ready to kill themselves.
0: Some people weren't cut out for life on the road, my man.
1: That's true. Uh, Next, Tara Brady from the Irish Times says, forms a neatly symmetrical, perfectly Kafkaesque narrative. This way madness lies. Alex, I had to bring out at least one pretentious quote. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How often do you do you throw Kafkaesque around?
0: I was about to say, that just reminds me of The Office where Michael's dating Pam's mom. And he goes, I'm sorry, I don't get your references. I don't know who Kafkaesque
1: is. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, and we're going to close with Kelly Vance from East Bay Express, who simply says, animal lovers beware. And uh, we're just going to leave that hanging there. <laughs> Until we get to real talk.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a fair point right there.
1: So those were the quotes. Alex, take us to Contrarian's Corner.
2: You mean you don't think the Yabba is the greatest little place on earth? Could be worse. How? Supply of beer could run out.
0: Alright. Well, my notes aren't as Lavish and detailed as other films we do, because I was thinking about it. There's really just, there's not much to this. it's Just this devolving and it's this spiraling down the drain the entire time. But we do, uh we are notified. Julio, I take it you also watch this on Amazon for free?
1: Yeah, and the appropriately named freebie.
0: Yeah, we both pulled this up on Amazon with the remastered copy of this, and we are told that this is a part of the Australian Film Archive. Just let us know right away. They're uh,
1: proud of it from the beginning. <laughs>
0: I can just see Chaz pumping his fist like a legendary MMA fighter Fedor Emelianenko just like looking at the screen when he sees that just revving himself up about this.
1: (laughs) Swollen chest. Swollen with pride.
0: (laughs) The uh, opening 360 shot as we discussed in our preview video, uh, I compared it to it looks like the desert from GTA 5. And um, it's funny to me that one of like the things about Australia that is such a common like American type theory is like there's Sydney and then there's like spiders and kangaroos and you know they talk funny but then people forget (laughs) it's like it's a continent it's fucking massive (laughs) my understanding is there's a lot of area in Australia that is just vast land like this But we start off in the small village of Timbunda, I think is how it was pronounced. I mean, as we do here from time to time, we just lean on a friend in Wikipedia. So we'll just take it with that. With John Grant is a young man, a middle class school teacher who feels disgruntled because of the onerous terms of a financial bond that he signed with the government in return for receiving tertiary education. The bond has forced him to accept a two-year post at a tiny school in Timbunta, a remote township in the arid outback. It is the start of Christmas holidays, and John plans on going to Sydney to see his girlfriend Robin, but first he must travel by train to the nearby mining town of Bundanyaba, 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 affectionately nicknamed the Yaba by the locals (laughs) in order to catch the Sydney bound flight. So, Immediate question here, Julio. Does this qualify as a Christmas film?
1: (laughs) Uh, This is the first failure in the movie, I guess. Because I hadn't realized it was Christmas. I thought it was summer break. Because it's just so fucking hot the entire time. I just assumed (laughs) it. Well, there's like... They're singing Christmas carols. And there's a Santa at one point. Come on, man. What? When? They're singing Christmas
0: carols in the bar. Like the arcade that they have. there, arcade. Casino, excuse me. And then like... There's uh the businesses downtown have signs that say like Happy Christmas and then there's like a big Santa that's like ho 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 like an animatronic one.
1: I completely missed that. I, I I and I've watched this movie twice, like. Alex. <laughs> but <laughs> obviously, there were way more important things going on <laughs> for me to catch on. You know, unless somebody actually came up to John Grant and went Merry Christmas, I, I it wasn't gonna register. Fair enough. Uh, I registered the beer. And I registered, like, just the the vast wasteland that is Australia when the story is not taking place in Sydney. Uh, Sydney is a beautiful beach, apparently, and the rest of Australia, like you said, is just a, a red desert. I was concerned. I was like, is this, like, a cry for help from Chaz? Mm. <laughs> like, a message in the bottle. Come rescue me from this place. Do you uh, think Chaz is in the Yabba?
0: I would hope not. No, because he was affected by those fires a few years ago. The op is just like, there's nothingness there. Uh, Mining town, it's death for farming, and it's worse than death in the mines. As our top billed performer, Donald Pleasance, has to say, uh, Donald Pleasance, seven years away from getting billing over the movie title in the first Halloween.
1: (laughs) Here He just gets billing over
0: everyone else. Well, and that becomes the thing with Donald Pleasance. I mean, there comes an expectation That, hey, it's Donald Pleasance, but there's also, like, other people. You know, he was the bad guy in uh, You Only Live Twice, which was, uh, of course, one of the Sean Connery bonds, so you have that. Uh, The Great Escape, you know, Steve McQueen is there. Uh, Eye of the Devil, Sharon Tate's there. And then, of course, Halloween, it's like, hey, it's Donald Pleasance, but it's also, you know, there's Jamie Lee Curtis, all right. Uh, Here, it's just, like, Donald Pleasance and then a bunch of who- over and over and over again.
1: <laughs> even worse, Australian who's. So <laughs> even if you went to just through your American archive, there's no no chance that you recognize anybody. On top of that, he doesn't show up for I don't know, 30 minutes. That I think that if you're going to get first billing, you have the kind of you owe it to the audience to at least pop up for, like, a couple minutes at the beginning. And then, you know, you you want to disappear for, for the rest of the first act? Go ahead. But give us some pleasance. Instead, we just follow this guy that I don't know from anything. And, I don't know, he seems pretty disinterested with his life, which doesn't uh, encourage me to be interested in it. How do you feel about this dude, about uh, John Grant?
0: Living in a motel out in the middle of nowhere. He seems pretty, like disgruntled is a good word to describe him he's just not pleased with how things are working out as far as his post and where he has to work and whatnot and allegedly
1: Uh, he has a girlfriend in sydney
0: mm -hmm, robin we
1: only see in fantasy sequences
0: this movie does have a pretty big w right away where they just completely own america when this guy gets six weeks vacation for christmas
1: (laughs) that's why i thought it was summer break
0: (laughs) couldn't possibly fantasize a world where you get more than one day off for Christmas. Uh, but he grabs the train. He heads back. He has the layover and the Yabba. The train system looks pretty dope. People are just singing and drinking and passing around booze freely. Why not?
1: He refuses the booze, though. At first, yeah. This is his arc. <laughs> He's going to turn down the drink here and then take every drink that's offered to him in the movie like, going forward. I guess, you know, cars on the table, Alex as much as I was unimpressed by uh, by this dude, by uh, John Grant, played by Gary Bond, Gary Bond. Uh, I have to say, and this might reveal just you know my own flaws or whatever, my own pretensions, but I did identify with him in this journey into a uh, uh, as he calls him later, an uh, aggressively pleasant town. Mm-hmm. I like to be left alone. <laughs> When I'm traveling. (laughs) If I'm not talking to you, don't come talk to me. And uh, I think that that is our right as human beings to just say, no, no thanks. And then just go on our way. This movie demonizes that attitude. The poor uh, John Grant, who just wants to be left alone so he can catch up with his imaginary girlfriend in Sydney. He suddenly finds himself bullied by all these supposedly nice Australians into uh, hanging out with them.
0: He's looking for trouble, though. He goes to that fucking packed bar that night. Like, <laughs> Well, what else was he going to do? It's not,
1: Buy a six-pack and go to
0: your room like an adult,
1: man. <laughs> I don't know that that's an option in the Yaba. I don't think that they let you drink by yourself.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm flat broke and I can't afford to drink. What's that going to do with that man? I said I'd buy you a drink. You don't have to buy me one. Now drink it down.
0: Uh, but he does go to this bar and finds himself buddy-buddied up with the sheriff of the town. Uh, what's, Jock Crawford, played by Chips Rafferty. Well, that's just a fucking awesome name. And uh, these boys drink, man. That's, that's all they do. Yeah. I mean, it's a mining town. So what else is there to do? And, you know, this uh, right away starts just what you're saying. Some of the tropes of uh, horror movies that would follow and. The decades to come and up to this day of like the small town going there a with the ego that you think you're better than everybody or b you know the just let sleeping dogs lie type thing you know don't fuck with these people like ozark type thing you know that's it you don't know what you're stirring up when you go there but this guy you know they don't take no for an answer either you drink and when they say it's time for another it's like a, that's drinking college drinking game levels of insanity. You have to finish your whole drink before you can have enough. Like before they can go to get you another one. So you it's can't just, show
1: weakness. You you can't blink. You have to finish it. Yes. Well, I don't like that, Alex. <laughs> I don't. I felt uh, attacked by the movie, and because. I feel like the movie is saying... The entire purpose of this movie is to take this British dude who thinks he's better than everybody else and kind of like bring him down to his knees and teach him that well, when somebody offers you a beer you drink it, damn it. And when somebody Mm -hmm. tells you that you're going to go hunting with them you go hunting with them. And if somebody wants to just spend the whole night up with you and go crazy then you just follow because that's just what, what, what you do in this community. And anytime that uh he tries to resist there's the movie not just the characters but the movie judges him and uh i felt like like i said it's not that i'm proud of identifying with john grant but he was definitely i could relate to him a lot more than i could relate to any of the the wild australians surrounding him Th- did you have a similar experience or were you more on the side of the townies we're like who does this guy think he is
0: uh no i wasn't necessarily on anyone's side uh I got Loomis's perspective, though, and he was just like, you think you're better than these people, don't you? That whole thing. <laughs> but, you know, with me, if I don't want to be bothered, I just, like I said, if I'm staying somewhere, just don't go, <laughs> buy a six pack, hang out in the room, watch TV with my pants off, you know?
1: <laughs> I get the feeling that the Yabba, they just, the guy that's selling you the six pack will be like, all right, well, let's drink them right here, right now.
0: <laughs> exactly. All uh, Does the pokes holes on all six of them, shotgun them, right now, all of them. Yes. <laughs> On me, But then they have like this big prayer, lest we forget about like people in the military that had died, you know, that won't be experiencing Christmas. And uh, there's this small town feel to it that John is not crazy about. The sheriff uh, Crawford goes and helps him get a a meal because he says he's going to pass out if he doesn't eat anything. Gets a steak for a dollar and it's like a loaded plate, man. It's a steak, eggs, toast. Um, Australian dollar too that's right but this is where they stumble into um, like this gambling ring that goes on after hours I guess at this diner looks like a pretty simple game of calling heads or tails it seems like a really dull way to pass the time it's like playing high low on cards where you just guess if it's going to be a high card or a low card and here it's just like heads or tails and there's just like insane amounts of money they get wrapped (laughs) up
1: in it (laughs) I think the game is simple, but I couldn't follow the bets. Like, how do you know what money is yours? There's just like a bunch of people kneeling on the on the floor on the ground uh, with piles of money in front of them, and then every time that there's a result, like heads or tails, people run from one side of the room to the other to collect their winnings. But I don't. I, how do they keep track? Like, I couldn't keep track of it. Uh, and I think even uh, Grant at some point tells Jog is like. I'm sure that a lot of people lose their money here, and he's like, "No, th- you know, this is just how it works. That they're all pretty honest." Uh, once again, kind of like telling you that idea that, well, these people are so, uh, so good, so mm-hmm. innocent, that nobody would even think of using the chaos of this gambling setup to steal anybody's money. They're they're just like stand up guys, and and this foreigner Grant is an idiot, and and he's just too cynical for his own good, like not trusting them. Again, I'm with him. I wouldn't put my money there. How <laughs> do you keep track? Who's the bookie? Who's keeping track of all that stuff?
0: <laughs> so it is at this point we are introduced to our star, Donald Pleasance, who plays Doc, is what they call him, which is funny to me uh, for numerous reasons. Clarence Titan. He's the local wild man slash uh, wise man. He starts off the way you would expect any Donald Pleasance performance to start off, where he just has this amazing soliloquy and these expressions that normal men would not have, but but you buy it because it's fucking Donald Pleasant's.
1: You're more familiar with Donald Pleasant than I am, Alex. I, mm-hmm. I just know him from Halloween. Um,
0: he has the amazing line where he says, discontent is the luxury of the will to do.
1: Once again, cutting our, our guy down to size. He has a really creepy smile in this movie. Is that normal? Did he just pull that one out for, for waking fright? Or is that something that he he unleashes in other movies.
0: Well, he's got the, uh, that scene in, um, Halloween where he scares Lonnie and he has that creepy old man (laughs) smile on his face at that (laughs) point.
1: Yeah. I think that's the closest. Okay. He does something that's that, but times 20 in this movie and he does it a lot.
0: Oh yeah. He's an insane drunkard in this. And that's the, he asks, uh, John asks the doc. He's like, what are you doing? He goes, I, I drink. And, explains you know pretty quick into it that he was uh, a doctor where he previously lived you know this is a little ways down the road but we find this out about his character and he's just such a fucking raging drunk that he couldn't keep his shit together so he just kind of lives there off the grid and has this shack that we don't really know that he pays uh, any rent for or anything like that but he kind of instills this sense of local pride i guess in um john or this sense of you know live while you can take a chance And this, of course, ends terribly because he takes that to mean go bet away every dollar that you have on your person right now. (laughs) Well, he starts off high because he goes and wins a a good amount, goes back to his hotel room and realizes this is his chance to buy his way out of his job that he doesn't like. And so he goes back and loses all of his money, all of it.
1: Did you buy it? You've been to Vegas. Have you ever done something like this? Don't you feel like you need a little more... uh Especially in a movie, you know, you need a little more justification for somebody to do something so idiotic. Like, he had a lot of money. <laughs> he, I don't know, he tripled what he had come to the Yabba with. And then in, like, I don't know, two minutes, he decides that he's going to just risk it all. It's like, we've we've been through this path. We, we've been down this path before, not too long ago, when, when we did a decent proposal. Like, there I bought it. There was real stakes. I could understand. I could understand why they did that. They were going to lose their house. Here, all he wants is just to stop teaching, which I don't know. I don't think that that's that important. So when he when he lost all his money, I had no sympathy. I was just like, you're a fucking idiot. Why would you do that? And that's when I turned on him. Did you turn on him also? Or were you, uh, oh, you know, fellow fellow gambler, I feel your pain.
0: Well, no, I, I'm too neurotic and obsessive to gamble away any large amounts of money. But just from my last trip there with some of my friends and how just freely they were, you know hundred dollar hits you know the gambling just in one hand a hundred dollars which is crazy to me uh and you know there's people that do fucking blackjack for a million dollars so i believe that he was bitten and he was drunk too which of course lowers your inhibitions i mean i didn't feel sorry for him when he lost his money when he woke up all sweaty and dirty and naked i was like been there man (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I think there's a difference between losing everything and getting stranded in Vegas versus losing everything and getting stranded in the Yaba. The Yabba. at least as as depicted in this in this movie. Yeah, at least um,
0: in Vegas, like it's on the level, and there's some semblance of you know opportunity that you might be able to win it back if you find a quarter or something. There, it's just like we got you now. Get out of the
1: Yaba. <laughs> um. So so yeah, nudity. We get uh, we get white man ass. And then as if that wasn't enough we get a uh, full frontal for no reason.
0: Really? Yeah, it's we end up getting some female nudity later on in the film as well, but it just kind of like okay. There's there's a penis. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to be like he's at his most
1: bare. <laughs> <laughs> he lost everything, even his underwear.
2: <laughs> Look, um will they cash a check for in this place? Yeah. How much? $290. Gonna try the
0: game, eh? Really, really cool shot the next morning. He's just broke as fuck and he's walking around not sure what he's gonna do and uh, see a plane fly overhead and it doesn't explicitly state it but you can tell by the way he looks at it that that was his flight to Sydney. And he's not gonna be able to text his girl or I don't even know if they have a phone in the Yabba. But he, you know, what else is he gonna do? Goes to the bar and meets up with an old townsman uh, what's this dude's name tim hines uh, played by al thomas who kind of looks like an older version of my friend adam so i kind of was laughing during the sequence because i was like yeah that kind of looks like adam and uh they're in the middle of the day it's presumably like a fucking tuesday or something they're just getting shit-faced <laughs> and having a uh, chaz is this what y'all do just get fucking <laughs> rip-roaring drunk
1: I mean by now the, the movie has painted a very vivid picture of what is what it's like to live in Australia on the you know the outskirts the, the 90% of Australia that's not Sydney. And it's not it's weird because I don't think it's a flattering representation of the country but I kind of feel like the filmmaker and the people making the movie and everybody I feel like they're kind of proud of it. Did you get the feeling too? Like they're like, "Yeah, god damn it, this is who we really are, not that bullshit they feed you in the other movies. This is the real Australia."
0: Like at uh screenings of it. Why why are you laughing? This
1: is what it's like. But Alex, they're proud of it because yeah, remember that that opening title, that opening card? This is this is from like the National Archive. That's right. Preserve for integrity.
0: This-
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they treasure this film. That this is considered a uh, valuable even the other movies from Australia that have been thrown our way, like uh, Getting Square and uh, Undead and Priscilla, I mean, they all seemed like movies where I would be like, all right, I get why there's a sort of pride of the fact that this came out of your country and this is representing your country. But here, it's a very uh, like vicious and polished look at, 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 at the country. And they're like, yes, this is what it's really like. Like it, love it, or get out of the way Well,
0: we're not dealing with the Sharpest bunch of uh, Tacks here, because I was looking For this while we were talking about the gambling scene I was able to come across it uh, A really interesting note According to the DVD commentary, the artificial banknotes Printed for shooting The gambling sequence Were so realistic that two extras were later arrested For trying to pass them off as general currency
1: Amazing They're also caught with some monopoly money,
0: Chaz and fellow Australians. I I wasn't meaning to make fun of your countrymen. I just took an opportunity there with that uh, that segue. So
1: the movie does it, okay, Chaz. I can't wait for real talk where we find out if you find this portrayal of your country and your countrymen offensive, or or if you're like, no, yeah, that's how they are,
0: dude. It very well could be. It's like fucking it, again. It's a continent, like. <laughs> uh, um, North America is not even a con- North America is a continent, excuse me But the United States is not, it's just a fucking country And think about all the places here That like If someone, you know, it's not like Australia Is a town, so where Chaz lives It's probably not like this, but he could Very well say, yeah, there's fucking boonies Out there with derelicts and idiots Like this, just like I could Be like, yeah, there's Fucking, in Texas alone Right down the street to Buda now, we have some friends that live there, but for the most part, it's just, you know, Trump country.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a towns. Uh, you go out to
0: Beaumont, as one of my co-workers used to call it, Trump Ghanistan. You go out there and <laughs> they probably do. They'll rang you up and go raccoon hunting or some shit. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if Chaz is like, yeah, this ain't me, but there's definitely parts of our country, our continent, excuse me, that are like this.
1: But that is that's what's fascinating, and I was kind of kind of this is partly real talk, because so I wanted to bring it up, in real talk. But we're we're in it, so let's let's get into it a little bit. Which is that uh, America somehow has managed to pull the trick of uh, making the rest of the world somewhat aware of of its own fragmentations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because yeah, you're right. Like, you know, there is an American stereotype, but there's also most people are also aware of the, let's say the Texan stereotype and the New Yorker stereotype. And so when you see a movie where you see a Texan, you don't say that's somebody from the United States. You say somebody from, that, that's somebody from Texas. It's it somehow it's like, it's a yeah. little less offensive because the stereotype is more contained. Whereas like here, you see the people from the Yawa and you're like, yeah, that's Australia. <laughs> you yeah. just threw the entire continent under the bus.
0: I can't think of like, you know, specific what's Perth, that's be like, ah, that's, that's a, that's someone from Perth for you or something like that. But <laughs> right. I, exactly. Like you're saying, yeah, it's just kind of like, this is Australia. It's like, you know, <laughs> Japan or other countries like that. It's there's a stereotype, but there's no divisions of it.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: They're smarter that way. Like the Japanese, we just, they're, they're smart. That's what we assume. Uh, unfortunately for Australia, they're just drunkards or into organized <laughs> crime. Or zombies. <laughs> so, Chaz and you, your fellow Australians need to pick it up, man. We need some diversity here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, the Australian project that Contreras is going to expand to where we, we're actually going to be able to stereotype Australia by region. So, there you go. The Sydney stereotype, the Perth stereotype, uh, is it uh, Canberra? Canberra?
0: Melbourne. We need to get some Melbourne. M- Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah we'll have we'll have a whole like understanding
1: this could be chaz just his his way of educating us he's like you guys know me and you guys know that I'm not like the people in this movie therefore you're going to have to reconcile the fact that I'm Australian but I'm not like the people in Wake and Fright yeah, there you go now you have to acknowledge that there's at least two different types of people in Australia
0: brilliant <laughs> uh, during this bar scene here before i forget there's um Tim, the nice guy, the local man, Tim Hines, he's lining up a pool shot and his pool cue goes into a guy's asshole and the guy turns around and he's like, hey, said I was just checking your oil and everyone busts out laughing. That was um, apparently back in the day, that was Andre the Giant like to rib guys in the ring, put his thumb up their asshole or like in the backstage area like (laughs) and say he was checking their oil because what the fuck are you going to do? It's Andre the Giant problem is his thumbs like as big around as a Coke can so I was it probably, say. probably wasn't an enjoyable experience
1: but yeah it, oil check <laughs> 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 uh, so, so uh, what you're saying is he got the idea from wake and fright exactly
0: anything or more troubling as I can tie anything to wrestling so there you go uh, Tim Hines takes John back to his homestead offers to put him up have uh what is it? Is it? L- I think it's lunchtime. They're they're like just <laughs> shit faced drunk driving through town, and they still haven't had lunch yet.
1: And they're they're drinking. I mean, are those pints or double pints? Because they're huge, and they fill them up all the way to the top.
0: Uh, I learned a new word in this today because the girls, the his his daughter, what's her name? She's obviously referenced constantly. Uh, Jeanette. Jeanette. Yes. She's obviously very standoffish, but she has lunch ready. She's like, it's time to eat, while Tim's pouring them another round of drinks. i had never heard the term aperitif before. Oh, uh, yeah, Because he says, that's what they need before they can eat. And I had to look that up. I was like, that's a fun word. It's a alcoholic drink taken before a meal to stimulate the appetite. So for me, that's just called like a 32-ounce Coors Light before I eat a bunch of chicken wings. So,
1: <laughs> can relate. What are they drinking here, Alex? It's not coarse light.
0: Fucking no, wild kangaroo beer, or I don't. (laughs) What would be a more offensive stereotype than anything to do with a kangaroo?
1: Well, Loomis eats kangaroo. Wallaby Uh,
0: Brewing Company, something like that. (laughs) Dude, that that shit's fucking hilarious. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Um, so I guess this Tim guy is just—he's like one of those guys that's too nice. He doesn't tell people no, and he's always buying the booze for people because these weird buff dudes show up uh, just to kind of hang out. Is it? Um, Dick and Joe are their names they show up to just kind of hang out and you know have fun and they just end up getting just uncomfortably drunk and just loud and partying and it's this sense of unease did you get this at all like I kind of felt at, it's just my conditioning because of all the shit I watch at this point it was starting to feel like potentially like a horror movie like any time, these people are going to like bind him and just start Cutting his skin off and shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't go that way. I was feeling uneasy just because I didn't think that I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I'm just old now, but the the amount of drinking felt uh, dangerous, bordering on unrealistic. Because they're just pounding beer after beer after beer after beer, and I couldn't tell if we were heading towards a point where. Uh, there was just like uh, alcohol poisoning in the future or if we are just going to fantasy land and I, I just wasn't supposed to think about it. This, I don't know. I mean, it's been a while since I've been drinking, you know, since I've drank to where I black out. Did you were you watching this and you're like, yeah, that's still that's that's doable. <laughs> Back in the old days, I could do this. Could you realistically could you hang out with these guys with Dick and Joe and Tim?
0: Yes. That's not something I'm particularly proud of. But like, holy shit, Alex. I'm in awe. I don't chug beers like they do, but like it, um, I I just go back to my last Vegas trip. That like that was the first time in years that I drank to the point where the next morning I was like, there was a part of the night I didn't remember because the few times I've ever been blackout drunk, I don't like it. So I usually know my cutoff point. But uh, if it's just beer, then I'll 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 be your huckleberry. That's the thing, <laughs> you know. But if they're bringing out, I think they're bringing out the hard liquor at some point, And I was just like, nah, man, the there's point no that,
1: option they, they don't give you a chance to say no.
0: <laughs> the point, like the bigger problem is like for as much as I like to drink, I've never been to the point where that gross ass shot of Loomis's fridge where he's got like half drinking 40s that are open. It's like <laughs> there is nothing. And I know some people don't even like beer, but there is nothing more fucking disgusting than f- like flat beer. That is the grossest shit. And so while I am capable when I'm with the boys of impressive feats of drinking, I'm using the word impressive extremely liberally there, uh, at no point in any of my drinking days have I ever been so desperate like these dudes, just pound warm, (laughs) flat beer. So uh, while I could hang with them if I wanted to, I have absolutely no desire to. I would have been doing what fucking John, I guess, is trying to do, the... I can't believe all those just dudes. It takes this guy, the smart English teacher to be like, Oh, there's a woman here. I should talk to her. And, <laughs> and even then he blows that. And she's like, she's good to go. Cause none of these guys ever talk to her. Or if they do, they have absolutely no game. And this guy's out here like quoting poetry and shit. And she's just like <laughs> a slip and slide ready to go, man. And he can't even follow up on it. This whole sequence is just a shame to watch unravel.
1: And, and you know, I will say this is the most realistic part of the movie because, yeah, given how much he he had been drinking, I was not surprised that he couldn't perform, and you know, him throwing up and just being a mess—that was that was relatable.
2: Uh, what time did the um, the uh, party finish? Bad dawn. What time is it now? Around right about four o'clock. Four.
0: Uh, we wake up the next day and we're at Smith's Grove. Uh, we're just living with Dr. Loomis now
1: (laughs) shirtless Loomis.
0: This, uh, you know, this was my efficiency apartment in college. This is how I lived. Just got a skillet of an indetermined meat and, you know, just (laughs) beer cans everywhere and shit. No, he just wakes up and he's like, what the hell happened last night? And Loomis being the good host that he is, is cooking him breakfast. Although it's four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, like I said, Loomis is the wild man. He's the upperclassman that you befriend who uh, he's Ric Flair. He's the the la- the first at the bar, last to leave, but the first one to be up in the gym uh, or, you know, getting his coffee, getting his food. In this case, you know, he kind of uh, recounts the happenings of the previous night to John and, can, you know, he encourages him to continue drinking with those nasty flat beers and ex- <laughs> explains that you know we're gonna go hunting you agreed to do that today and um he gives him his like lunch or whatever and he's like it's not bad and he just goes "Mm, it's kangaroo and just like you can tell john's never eaten that before in his life and he's very disturbed at the idea of it i just thought the flat delivery by loomis was so fucking
1: good we're also just kind of like ticks off yet another box in the just the stereotypical portrayal of australians i guess oh yeah that is the equivalent of like I don't know, I mean here, well in America it would be just well burgers. You know, do we have like a specific meat that's just for representative of the the United States, or even Texas? Beef, barbecue. Yeah, you know, he's just like it's barbecue, but that's not that doesn't carry the same punch as revealing that you're eating kangaroo.
0: The Sawyer um, family in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two has a very <laughs> specific type of meat.
1: There you go. <laughs> um. There is, I mean, this is, you would think that this is him hitting rock bottom, like Grant hitting rock bottom, but not quite. Oh, no. There's some ways to go, but this is definitely, compared to where he was the previous day, this is a step further down into hell. Um, But it's still basically Townie's just putting him in his place and just emasculating him, right? Because Mm -hmm. uh, Loomis brings up the fact that First, he knows what happened with Jeanette. I mean, apparently everybody knows that <laughs> he just couldn't perform because uh, just-
0: this is like a precursor to the I tried to reach him, but there's nothing there speech that he gives in Halloween where he just like <laughs> dissects the psyche and mental makeup of the townspeople. It's a yep. pretty impressive monologue in the sense that he's just delivering it continuously as fucking John's trying to get away from him to go take a piss or something. He's just following <laughs> him around, continuing to talk.
1: Yep. Uh, this is basically uh, John Grant slowly realizing that now he's Eskimo brothers with the entire town. Because <laughs> the way Loomis puts it, Jeannette just gets around and uh, he's trying to... Is it, this is this is what pisses me off, right? It's not like, like Grant is actually judging her for sleeping around. He never says anything. That's just Loomis projecting on him. You know, telling him, oh, well, you know, you city people you you would call her a slut. You, you would judge her when all she is is just somebody that, when she sees something she wants, she goes and takes it. And uh, I don't think that that's the problem. The problem is that without passing judgment on, on promiscuity, there are some health concerns. Like, if I was John Grant and I found out that I was hooking up with somebody that hooks up on the regular with, with somebody like Loomis, who lives in this shithole that's full of flies... <laughs> I would be concerned that maybe I got an STD or, or worse. Rock and roll? <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, that is... Again, I don't think that poor John Grant deserved to be made fun of and embarrassed over the fact that maybe he just prefers monogamy mm-hmm. over this wild orgy that seems to be going on at the Yaba permanently.
0: Yeah, and... Um- It's a fascinating scene because it almost starts to feel like Loomis is a voice in his head. I did have a moment later in the movie where I'm like, wait, does the Doc character actually exist?
1: Maybe Grant is Doc. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But yes, this segues into a long, long, long hunting scene as those local idiots Dick and Joe show back up with their car to go hunting kangaroos. And they do for a long, long time. So this we'll starts at
1: 4 p.m. and ends at, like, I don't know. 4 p.m. the next day.
0: <laughs> we'll talk more about this sequence in uh, the second half. But I think what we can say uh, to a certainty is that the same thing could have been, they. This literally is, what, maybe a 10-minute segment of the film. It could have been accomplished the same thing in 90 seconds.
1: Yeah, I would add that uh, earlier this month, we talked about The Lighthouse and uh we were talking about robert pattinson and that seagull and we were like <laughs> oh god i forgot that about was that. that was unnecessary that you know we only needed like five seconds of that robert mm-hmm. eggers didn't need to hold a shot for so long and whatever well we didn't know what wasn't our future
0: <laughs> Chaz, listen to that this- just going yes yes <laughs> sweet glorious chaos
1: yeah, waking Friday's like, and then fifteen minutes of just kangaroo hunting. No plot, <laughs> just
0: no cool music <laughs> in the background.
1: Nope, no cool slow motion or anything. They didn't get Zack Snyder on the second unit or anything. It's just, it's just there. You could remove it, and the movie would be probably like ninety minutes.
0: <laughs> now, after this hunting, you know, expedition this complete break in the flow of the film. This is where it just, you know, I used the term devolve and swirling and spiraling and all these things. It just starts to become like a waking nightmare, like a fever dream because they're just shit face drunk from this hunting. And they're at this bar that they frequent and they just start destroying it. And the barkeep there, like I guess lives there. That's what Josh Gad would play. He'd run out and be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Uh, And they just start destroying it. And then they start, you know, machoing up and wrestling one another. Dr. Loomis, you know, I understand it was about 20 years before it was founded, but in an early precursor to extreme championship wrestling, just starts (laughs) wildly swinging a chair around, both at the wall and the (laughs) nearby uh, compatriots of his. And uh, it just, it's so unsettling, is not even the right word. Unsettling would be something that's, you know, almost subtle. This is, you're just watching this, you're like, my God.
1: I was thinking, is this what Chaz does every Friday night? <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, John Grant is just passed out. He couldn't even keep up with the guys. He couldn't Dude. even make it to the destruction.
0: <laughs> no joke. When they showed that shot of him laying on the ground, I was like, Did I, "Is he dead? Did I miss something?" Like I thought, like <laughs> maybe one of them shot him or something. While I was like, uh, you know, taking notes or something. But he—I you know, wouldn't call it boot and rally because he's still just completely sit on his own face drunk and goes back to the shack with Loomis and they're you know gallivanting and joking around and now they're pouring <laughs> <laughs> pouring beer on one another Loomis starts wildly shooting off the gun like Elvis or Phil Spector or something just kind of like watch this and uh, then they start wrestling which uh, <laughs> yes, <you do. laughs> I mean that, with the, the dudes I hang out with we have you know and when I say wrestle when we're drunk, I mean we do, like, pro-wrestling moves on each other. Big, like... You know how The Rock does those slap punches? We'll do shit uh-huh. like that. We don't grapple and look into each other's eyes like Doc and uh, John here, but... Uh, shit escalates, man.
1: <laughs> okay, well, this is... Uh, it's so, such
0: a tricky thing to discuss, but...
1: Well, no, I mean, I, it, it, here's here's the the thing. Like, I... There are two things, two takeaways from this scene for me. One is that well, I guess first a question, Alex. Do they have sex?
2: Sex is just like eating. It's a thing you do because you have to. Not because you want to. But most people are afraid of it.
0: Yeah. I mean we don't see it, but that is like a heavy implication, and that's
2: what,
1: dude, what are your what are your uh your cues to you know, where do you go like
0: Loomis is wearing a dress when they wake up.
1: <laughs> it's, it's fair enough. That's not my that only cue. Mean, I mean, that no. could just mean that they they started playing, you know, cross-dressing or whatever.
0: Yeah, which again is fine. No, my thing is like, John is clearly freaked out and disturbed the next morning. He's like, he wakes up, he's like, what the fuck? He's like Jonah Hill and super bad. That part where he wakes up and he's cuddling with Michael Sarah and he's like, what the fuck? Well, But
1: see, so here's the thing. Like, I, I agree with you, actually. I, I I think they have sex. But what threw me off was that we, like, that the movie suddenly became shy about it. You know, this movie has had no problems just being in your face, put the camera there, let's show this guy's ass, let's show his penis. Like, we, we already saw uh, Grant's junk earlier in the movie. And it is
0: jarring because of how much excess and I guess for lack of a better term vulgarity there is that hunting scene it's just like the shocking imagery you see in that for them to then get gun shy here it's like fuck you man right it, it just give me Loomis and John going to town on each other man
1: yeah because otherwise <laughs> you're Loomis making me saying, you're the duke you're the duke <laughs> uh yeah, because otherwise you, you just made me second guess myself. Because my thought is, no, they didn't have sex because if they had had sex, they would have shown us. Like that's this movie is it's that's this kind of movie. Your immediate um,
0: thought would be like, "Are have you watched the rest of the movie? Have you not? Like if they're fucking, they're going to show it to us."
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that they have to go, you know, I don't need to see like all of it, but at yeah. least passionate kissing and or or you know, just A little bit more than what we get, because what we get here is like they're wrestling. They look into each other's eyes, and then the camera kind of like goes to the to the lamp, and then we we kind of like fade to white. I was like, "That's what is that? (laughs) That that is that is way too classy for this movie." At that moment, they they just they started wondering maybe we've crossed a line here. (laughs) Maybe this will get us an R rating. So let's pull back. Um,
0: Yeah, that sad state of the times are like, all right, animal cruelty objectification of women that's good anything implying homosexuality we got to stay far far away from that brother
1: yep and then the final thing which just bothers me like once I once you put all the pieces together then what really bothers me is that we've been tracking this guy grant's descent you know just slowly just tumbling down the, the stairwell to hell and so the way that this is framed is like oh so how how else can we just portray that he's just hitting rock bottom? It's like, oh, he's going to have sex with a dude. And I was like, that is uncalled for. You know, that is not necessary. You could have just had him wake up, you know, next to Loomis without them having sex. And I would have gotten the idea that, all right, well, all he needs to do is remember what he did during the hunt. And that would be enough for him to, like, feel the the shame kind of, like, washing over him. But then if you're going to throw, like sex into it, then you need to carry through and explore it through the rest of the movie. And it doesn't. (laughs) Like, this is the last really... Other than some cutaways when he's kind of, like, losing his mind uh, during the rest of the movie, like, this is never addressed. They never have, like, a serious conversation about the fact that they had sex. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, Loomis sees him off at the end of the movie, jumping ahead a little bit. Like, Loomis is the one that, like, takes him to the station or whatever. And... Just watching them interact there, you couldn't tell that they had sex. So it's like, what was the point? So anyway, they have sex. And we miss out. We
0: We do. (laughs) We just get the aftermath where John is completely traumatized as he, uh, you know, what else is he going to do but go fucking house some beers. We see him just completely (laughs) like, to an uncomfortable degree, just chugging these, demanding more. and Not even a good chug. It's that type of chug where, you know, it's coming out of the glass and getting all over him. And Crawford's just kind of watching him in like uh, disappointed awe. He, <laughs> he feel like he's just like, you know, seconds away from some, saying some man just can't handle the ABBA. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so he does get out of town as he's a broken man, but he gets out. He hitchhikes. He gets shit for not wanting to drink with people. He uh, stumbles across a, a ride that says they're going to the city. He just immediately interprets that as Sydney, so he gives him his rifle for the the ride he's going to take, and uh, all roads lead back to the Yabba, because he gets there and sees that he's just back to where he started from, and the guy so says, dumb. I said the city, and yeah. He he didn't even think to ask him to specify. It's not like there's... That's an American, or like, a, I guess in his case, in English, uh, an outsider perspective that there's only one city in Australia. Uh, but... <laughs> Makes it back to the ABBA. Uh, the guy gives him his rifle back because he just feels like, you know, he sees how down on his luck he is. So he just has a complete meltdown, John, that is, and ends back up at Loomis's shack, and uh, he's there to kill him. And when he's not there to be killed, he pulls the turns the gun on himself, excuse me, and right as Loomis shows back up, Doc says, hey, this dude pulls the trigger and shoots himself.
1: But he didn't even—he couldn't even do that correctly. He's so incompetent. <laughs> he doesn't even have a scar when all is said and done. He just
0: gets his head wrapped, but then he comes out of the hospital looking just prim and proper with a new suit. I guess that's another owning on the American medical system. You get injured in Australia, you leave with a tailored suit, and uh, yeah, this is where uh, Loomis goes to see him off, and you know, kind of
1: wishes him well and sings him that that song that they sing at the end of the Master.
0: On a slow boat to China. (laughs) Several weeks later, Doc takes him to the railway station where they quietly make peace with each other. No longer contemptuous of the outbacks inhabitants and more assured of himself. John returns to Timbuna to begin the new school year. What a journey of self. (laughs) He does. What a journey of self discovery and realization.
1: So see that's that's the movie, telling you, he was he was changed for the better, because, at the beginning of the movie he didn't take the beer from a stranger, and at the end of the movie he does, and he does with a smile, so it's like his time in the Yaba taught him to be less presumptuous, less less uh, high and mighty when it comes to, to regular Australians. And I just can't agree with that. I'm like, if he didn't want to drink, if he didn't want to, like, mingle, that that, that was his right. That's why, like, ultimately that bothers me. Uh, but also, how the hell did he buy a ticket back to Timbuktu or wherever he goes? Because he was broke.
0: Yeah, I imagine Doc probably spotted him a couple bucks. Or wait, no, Doc's broke too. So maybe Crawford yeah. just wanted him out of his town. It's like, <laughs> here, just take this and get the fuck out.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it was like... Uh, at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, the, the yes. entire time of Yaba <laughs> just came together. <laughs> yeah,
0: let's go get old man Potter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Julio, that was that went places. Much like uh, Wake and Fright, that discussion went places. I'm ready for some real talk on the matter, though.
1: Yeah, let me dust myself off, wipe the sweat off my entire body, and. Uh, then I'll meet you in real talk. Sounds good.
2: Hey, I hit him. <laughs> hey, John, where are you going? I hit him.
0: It's no good skinning him, mate. They're all mangy out here. Come and drink a beer.